Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hello and welcome to the Bechdel cast. My name is Jamie Loftus. And my name is Caitlin Durante. And this is our podcast where we discuss the representation of women in cinema. You're right. Can you tell I have like cheese voice right now? <laughs> um, Can you kind of hear that I just like more or less deep throated a baby bell. I can hear it in my voice. I was wondering I if you can. I don't especially hear anything, but I'm also full of dairy. I just ate a Klondike bar. Not so to, not wow. Now we have to be careful because now we're on a now we're on a network. It's gonna oh, sound right. that wasn't a paid advertisement. We no. just we just appreciate those dairy products. Just... But if Klondike bar and baby bell do want to give us money, we will take it. I just had to wash down that baby bell with a gulp of diet coke. <laughs> I feel, I feel, I I just felt so insecure about my cheese voice, but I do think listeners hop into my mentions. Tell me, have you ever had cheese voice? Have you ever, I'm trying to start a dialogue today. Well, uh, represent, Hey, Caitlin. Yeah. Even though we were talking about products, that conversation did pass the Bechtel test, I would say. Did I it would not, say would it, not? it did, yes. Okay. Well, what is the Bechtel test? Well, it's just a test that you apply to media, and it requires that the movie, let's say, you're watching... The movie Cheese Breath. <laughs> not cheese, cheese Breath. Oh, it's Cheese Breath now. Che- no, it's Cheese Voice. Okay. Don't get close to my mouth, though. Probably <laughs> Cheese Breath also. Sure. So whatever movie you're watching, uh, the Bechtel test requires that it has at least two female identifying characters with names who speak to each other and their conversation cannot be about a man. You'd think it would be easy. And yet... We've got an interesting one today. I'm I'm excited to talk about this movie. It's one of those ones where I was ambivalent about it when it came out, and I have a lot more thoughts and questions about it now. Mm-hmm. 45 minutes of this movie 
is Joaquin Phoenix sauntering around. However, <laughs> that describes a lot of Joaquin Phoenix movies, and so that doesn't even really narrow it down. He's literally in a movie called Walk the Line, where I imagine he's just <laughs> walking, walking the line. That's <laughs> what that movie is about. It's a very famous movie about walking in a straight line. <laughs> in this movie, we have Amy Adams. It's not doubt. So already that is points against it. <laughs> so we're talking about the movie Her. And here to join us in that conversation is uh, our wonderful guest. He's the senior editor at Vulture, and he's the host of Good One podcast, currently in its third season, Jesse David Fox. Hi. Hello. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about your relationship to the movie Her. When did you first see it? What's your relationship (laughs) to to Her? her. Uh, I forgot this. I was watching it. I was like, oh, I watched it on a screener on a date all i remember is she would sigh when interesting things happened her would like, this <laughs> this bodied woman would be like hmm okay your date <laughs> yeah, would. okay date. i see and i appreciate that she liked the movie so then i think i watched it again immediately afterwards mm. to get it and then i remember liking it so much i remember liking how it looked I illegally downloaded the score. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to figure out ways to get the clothes for free to write stories about like, oh, I try to wear those pants for... And I'm, that's where it stayed frozen in my brain of like, that's a movie I really liked uh-huh. and thought about a lot for a time and then didn't reinvestigate until last night. And now I feel very confused about it. I see. <laughs> wow, I'm so excited to talk about this then. Yeah. yeah, this is a tricky one. This is one of those movies I think that occupies that like my little brother loved this movie when it came out because he was a teenage boy who I think identified strongly with Theodore. Mm-hmm. I think this is a case for a lot of specifically men who saw this movie. They're, they're like, you know what? I, I don't fuck enough. And <laughs> The thing with this movie, I think that there are a lot of good things about this movie. I think that there's a lot of backwards things about this movie. There's a lot, de- definitely a lot to talk about. No matter what, what way you spin it, this movie is very boring. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, there's a lot of stuff to discuss. Mm-hmm. However, it is one of the most boring movies of, of all time. It's a Jones joint, as yeah. we like to say here. Yes. <laughs> I'm kidding. We don't. Um, but it's a Spike Jones written, directed. Yes. It's weird because I, and I'm interested in what you think about this. I do think that Spike Jones is well aware that his protagonist is deeply flawed and is essentially wrong in most of the choices he makes. However, I don't think that that is clearly communicated enough in the movie. And that's why there's going to be this horde of guys who feel they don't fuck enough that will love this movie because there's not a lot of accountability and there's not a lot of blowback and there's not a lot of, you know, it's like Theodore, he's going to be fine. He's going to coast through life because Mm -hmm. of who he is. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't need to see Joaquin Phoenix saunter around. I simply don't. <laughs> well, when did you first see the movie? I saw it when it came out. Okay. It came yeah. out uh, when I was in college. At the time, I re- just remember being like, well, that was fucking boring. And now I think, well, that was fucking boring. And I don't think that, and I think it gets a lot, most things wrong. <laughs> yeah. There was like a pretty big response to this movie, as you said. Like a lot the of people, people really were latched on to this movie. <laughs> Yeah, especially I feel like in 
the world I imagine we all run in. This was like an Avengers size movie for people who live in cool neighborhoods in large cities. <laughs> and then like not a movie anyone would care about. Though I just relearned that it won an Oscar. For what category? Guess. Was it screenplay? Yeah. yeah. Which is the I thing it deserves it the least for. Yeah. Because thinking back, it's like the worst thing about this movie is its screenplay. It's, I mean, I don't know. It, we, could, we could spar all day about what the worst part of this movie is. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff going on. I, I wish that this movie was written by someone who had a better understanding of tech than Spike Jones <laughs> seems to. Here's a big issue I have with this movie that is completely uh, separated from what we talk about, but just feels worth mentioning. Okay, people are falling in love with AI and computers. Fine, I get it. That's what the movie's about. Why is it never at any point brought up that Samantha is absolutely funneling all of Joaquin Phoenix's thoughts and feelings and giving them to Mark Zuckerberg so he has better targeted ads? It's never brought up like that there's like a massive surveillance aspect to like, you know, the AIs. It's not like they work for no one. You know, like they were created by a company right. and all the data that they get is going back to that company. The world Spike Jones creates freaks me out a little bit because it's just like, you know, there's no there's no element of a tech company even mentioned in this movie. It's just AI exists and it's here to You see like the ad you. for it and he sees the ad and he's like, yeah. oh, I might like that. And that's the extent of it. Yeah. I'll subscribe to it. And it's, yeah. it's like there's always, no, where's your, where... Where are your weird little fuck feelings? Like, and they're being, you know, I, I sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I do think that that is such a weird thing to overlook. However, when I saw this movie in 2013, that didn't occur to me at all. Well, I'm you weren't a like, hacker yet. I'm <sighs> Hacker yeah. Jamie had not been born yet. And... I was waiting for someone to bring up that I am one of the world's <laughs> foremost hackers. People call me Lil Julian, and I don't stop them. I feel like I remember hearing the movie was... A lot of more movie. The first cut was like, as first cuts are, like hours and hours long, and mm-hmm. he didn't know what to do, and he's gonna like stop making the movie. And then, like, he gave Steven Soderbergh the movie for a weekend, and Steven Soderbergh, like, made... To hook up with? Yeah, yeah. He's like, like a swinger? jerk off to this movie, Steven Soderbergh. I think he'll be super into it. And then Steven Soderbergh, like, gave him a, like, hour-long cut. And it's like, this isn't the movie, but, like, this is what the movie could be. Wait, I, I, Steven Soderbergh is like, here's all the content of the movie without Joaquin Phoenix pacing around Los Angeles. It's an hour long. <laughs> or his face. There's just a lot of, it's just like <laughs> yeah. his face or his full body. But I will say this. My favorite parts were him pacing around, I feel like, because you see his red coat, which I still, where I you looked up. You just love his wardrobe. I, I looked up. Where to get that red coat, and it's now not a relevant search anymore. And it's the score, which I love. And the score is beautiful, yeah. Yeah, so I, maybe I think there was more of a, like, this is shadier element. Mm-hmm. And they're like, let's just keep it to what it is, which is a love story, I, I, I love guess. Story. I love my computer. Yeah, I, well, I don't even. When did you see this movie? I saw it uh, shortly after it came out, and oh. I didn't especially, I wasn't attached to it really in any way i thought like the world building was interesting i thought that it it begins to explore some interesting themes but i wasn't emotionally connected to it for the most part for different reasons if if memory serves this seems like a movie that men tended to get more attached to 
than so, women. As a man, is this the time where I should say, I, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember I liking a lot as a man mm-hmm. and a female friend also liking a lot as a person who was not a man. But I definitely can see why men would because this was, this was one of the questions I wanted to ask you because watching this movie with the frame that I was going to talk about on this show, I'm like, this movie is bad. To watch a movie on a thing that is not one of its strengths and focusing on it, and I feel like it must make movie watching really hard. Is but and this was the question. I watched this movie from the lens of its representation of women, and as a result, I feel like I was more aware of its flaws than when I just watched it. Sure. And I can't tell if that is because I'm still just me, if that's how women see movies. When it's just like, this movie was assuming that you care about this guy because he's sad and he's a guy. Mm-hmm. And five years ago, that was enough. And it seems like for you guys, it was not enough. But do you feel like there's other movies that do you feel like this is particularly bad at it? I would say no. We've covered movies on this podcast that have done a much worse job. Oh, and my God. Are you saying that, <laughs> Gigli? <laughs> I'm saying that cinematic masterpiece Gigli <laughs> might have done not so great of a job. No, Unbelievable. Uh, and I, when I first saw it and first decided that I didn't, I don't hate this movie, but I don't, like I said, I just have no attachment to it. And it wasn't. I wasn't watching it through the Bechtel cast lens yeah. at the time. And I, I find even today, after having done this podcast for a year and a half, I still have to deliberately like put my Bechtel goggles okay. on. Yeah, we we even like talk about that when we're texting. Mm-hmm. Of like, I saw Ex Machina for the first time last weekend, and I was like, oh, I liked it. I wasn't watching it with Bechtel goggles, but I, you know, first glance, I I liked it. Mm-hmm. That's it. There are certain movies that like are so shitty that you can't yeah. not watch it with Bechtel goggles just right. because it's like blatant. Like Transformers, yeah, is a glaring. It's <laughs> like you can't you can't miss it. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't think that you know like every woman on the face of the earth is watching movies with this hyper specific viewpoint, but. I've been quicker to notice stuff without my Bechtel goggles on because we've done this so mm-hmm. many times of like, oh, there is a little trope that is kind of like a red flag for like, probably this isn't a good sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, but also like we've just been so conditioned to view media a certain way. And because so much of media has just been a certain way that we're like, we've been conditioned to accept that that's what movies are. Yeah. Right. That... I've had to like retrain myself to like watch movies from a more critical eye, especially as it pertains to like the treatment of women, the treatment of people of color, the treatment of queer characters, like so many different things. And I'm just like, the bottom line is that I still have to put in a lot of work to like critically cool. analyze <laughs> the entertainment that I consume. Yeah, does that answer your question? It does, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the two questions I told him I had. Ooh. We n- no one ever asks us questions. I this know. is exciting. Get journalists on. Yeah, There's, yeah exactly. <laughs> Should I do the recap? Recap, recap, recap. So her is about a character named Theodore Twombly. Twombly? Twombly. Hey, Twombly. I know a Twombly. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Tyler Twombly. Shout out Tyler Twombly. He Shout was my out. employee once. Oh, cool. <laughs> Anyways. Anyway, so Theodore, <laughs> played by Joaquin Phoenix, this is a kind of distant future, near future society. The Turing test has been passed in this future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he works at a website called beautifulhandwrittenletters.com. I'm going to stop you right there. <laughs> I, 
here's a trope that I find stupid of like, first of all, that's a, a business that will never exist. That's ah! it's like, what is the quickest shorthand way to say he's a sensey little boy? Like, <laughs> and, like, and they do the same. They do a very, very similar thing in 500 Days of Summer with Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character where they're like, he works at greeting card company. He a little sensitive. Yeah. And then they lay it on thick with Theodore Twom. He's like, I think boys should cry. I think boys should cry, and I write handwritten letters, and I boop, 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 and I'm just like, fuck off. <laughs> I want to throw them out a window. Anyways, sorry. Go I ahead. just went to beautifulhandwrittenletters.com, and it redirects you to warnerbrothers.com backslash her, if anyone's curious. That sucks. They should have at least <laughs> done something. Right? <laughs> and Heather just redirects. Um, so he works at this place and he's a sense he's a writer and he's also going through a divorce and he's melancholy and he plays <laughs> that line ha- is baffling to see a movie that I know I liked have a part where he goes play melancholy song first five minutes he's like he does yeah play melancholy song and he goes another melancholy song you're like shut up what is wrong it is crazy that it has that and then there's other parts of the movie that aren't you think that should be if the movie's gonna be that it should be stupid all the way through right yeah that was like a moment of humor that i was like oh this is gonna be kind of a comedy and then it's not really it's theodore twombly and by extension kind of spike jones it just seemed blissfully unaware of how goofy some of his some of the things he's sad about is because he has a job that he's good at that people just can't stop complimenting him on Mm. how good at his job he is he has this massive apartment with these huge glass windows where he masturbates every night (laughs) and it's and he's like play melancholy song it's like i you can miss me with empathy for this character he's fought like i get you know he's going through a divorce that is explored that makes sense but like In 2013, this is still a very sympathetic character of, like, this guy with a great job and a phone that he has sex with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is a world where, like, technology is a little bit more advanced than it is for us right now, where you can, like, be like, hey, check my emails. And then a, a voice will come and be like, all right, here's your email from Best Buy and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's kind connected of to your phone. Yeah, it's kind of like Siri almost. Um... Best Buy made the cut. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good job on Best Buy. So he sees an ad for another operating system that involves artificial intelligence. And he's like, wow, this like sounds like something that I could be into because I'm lonely and I'm ignoring emails from friends and I am I going to this pictures divorce. Of pregnant ladies on the train. Which honestly I think makes him a feminist icon, but that's <laughs> yes. just me. So he purchases this OS and starts communicating with it. Her name is Samantha, voiced by Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm. And it starts out where they're just like kind of getting to know each other and she's sort of just going about doing his, you know, daily administrative type of stuff. And then they talk more and then they start to develop more of a friendship, more of a connection. Meanwhile, he is trying to date and he has a friend named Amy, played by Amy Adams, and she's encouraging him to like go out and live life. So he goes on his, uh, a date and it doesn't go well. So instead he comes home and he's like kind of complaining to Samantha about it. And this is the initiation of their sexual relationship um, where they have they have sex, so to speak. Now they're sort of in a relationship and they start to fall in love. And 
I don't even remember what happens after that. There's a sequence where he gets divorced from his wife. There's a sequence where... His Sam- wife. His wife. <laughs> Sorry. I'm never not going to say <laughs> Shout that Shout out now. to the Rock episode. <laughs> his wife is alive in this one. Um, Played by Rooney Mara. Yes. Uh, Joaquin's real life boo piece. Wait, really? I believe oh, so, yes. I didn't know that. Uh-huh. At the time or currently? Currently. Not oh. They had negative chemistry in this they did. <laughs> listen that joaquin he's a contrarian yeah. he where we zig he zags uh, <laughs> he, uh there's a scene where samantha decides that she wants to try to have you know, sex with him with a real body using angelo from mr robot mm-hmm. who we'll get to how the tertiary female characters behave in this movie because yes. it rarely makes sense he goes on a date with olivia wilde and is like i didn't find her that hot <laughs> you're just like <laughs> okay i think that those are all the main right yeah so those are know. kind of the main story beats and as all this is happening samantha is sort of growing intellectually and emotionally and she's evolving and she makes ai friends she makes ai friends and, him jelly. and she and theodore are talking about their relationship and their feelings and you know they have different sort of complications but they're growing together sort of because theodore is kind of in a state of arrested development in terms of his emotional growth and it gets to the point where she's starting to realize this and she's sort of evolving past him and then which granted is not very hard (laughs) (laughs) i think we have all accomplished that Yeah, he learns that she is also in love with over 600 other people and OSs, and this makes him jealous. And then as they're sort of maybe trying to work past this, the other OSs have decided to move on to a different plane of existence. And then he realizes, maybe I should connect with my... The gentlest robot uprising I've ever heard (laughs) in my entire life. Exactly. Uh, So then he's like, hey, Amy, uh, do you want to go on the roof with me and connect face-to-face? Like, maybe I should have been doing all along, question mark? The end. <laughs> like, um, here's my question. <laughs> Sometimes um, with technology, do you feel like maybe we're, like, more alone than we ever were before? <laughs> Jamie, I think that's such an interesting question that I've never heard posed before. But I you've really, really this, given like, me something to think about. Mr. Jones really helped me figure that out <laughs> with this awesome movie. <laughs> Uh, All right, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think this movie does attempt to explore some interesting themes about human connection and our relationship with technology, different things like that. I don't necessarily think it draws any conclusions that are that poignant. Well, it seems to suggest, because at no point, though it implies there's maybe a disconnection because of the technology, ultimately it seems like it's a totally cool world and everyone's fine with it. And then the only problem is that maybe at some point the technology would not want to be with us. Right. (laughs) But that is not really like a, that's not like the world that we're living in. We're like, it's good, but any moment Facebook will decide not to be a company anymore. (laughs) Right. I'm over No, the company might, but the Facebook will be like, sorry, we as a website decided not to exist. I kind of liked there, and this is like mainly expressed through Amy's character, that there is this element of like, oh yeah, people are starting to like date OSs and that's cool and that's interesting and I'm like open to that and you're like oh this there's like that undertone I thought was like one of the more interesting choices that the movie makes because I think it would be a really easy boring story choice for the whole world to behave like Rooney Mara and be like you're in love with your computer that's gross that's fucked up Mm -hmm. blah 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 and it's like an us versus them kind of thing yeah but I, I do think it's cool that it's like this movie takes place at a time that will never happen where it's like we fuck computers but also we have porn stashes like (laughs) confusing but like takes place where it seems like dating an ai is just becoming 
slightly mainstream and like sort of acceptable and it's like on its way but not quite there it's which which is like mm-hmm. interesting and i wish it was explored more than it is i'm wondering if when people see this like 50 years from now when everyone is has their own fuck <laughs> robot mm-hmm. people will be like wow the movie her was so progressive for its time because it really like realized this world i hope not i really <laughs> hope i i man i'm like really interested in this stuff too and and it bothered as a hacker, <laughs> as a patron of the zeros and the ones. Uh-huh. Uh huh. No, I I do think it it is like kind of. I I tweeted that we were doing this episode today, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of uh, feedback I was getting was like, "Oh, that movie is so frustrating because it takes this futurist perspective, but only tells the story of a hetero relationship, mm-hmm. and only tells the story of a male's needs being met in a lot of ways." Which is true and is true of a lot of these types of movies, which we'll Mm -hmm, get into. mm -hmm. But the extension of that problem is that most AI and most, like, technology in general is developed by men like Theodore Twombly, where, you know, AI in a way is sort of created to service males and and reinforce gender stereotypes in a lot of ways um so unfortunately although this movie does not examine it even a little bit that is kind of true to how this technology is being developed which sucks mm-hmm. uh fortunately i'm gonna hack it and be, <laughs> everything will be fine thank goodness i'm pro I, I think ai is really cool i just like wish that it was being developed by a more diverse group of people so it will service a diverse population for sure the part that i remember talking about that i liked about the movie was how they all everyone was really accepting of it yeah that was like me thinking this was a good movie that was the thing that i used to sound smart about how it was a good movie (laughs) like chris pratt's character which is so funny that chris pratt this is where exactly (laughs) where his career was at he's like she's an os and literally like nothing and they go on a date yeah he's just like cool do you want to do something fun (laughs) And then they Where talk about go? his girlfriend's Catalina? feet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is what this is Chris Pratt. Kaylee, you were saying this earlier. This is Chris Pratt as he is in the middle of becoming hot. <laughs> he's like not quite there, but it's like this is his Raichu stage. He's getting there. <laughs> yeah. The final form has not been reached, but he's you can see you can see some things at work. Mm. Anyways. So I think this movie does have Something's going for it in the sense that it's a movie about a guy for who the most part, even though he is not fully emotionally developed, but then again, who out there is. It's a movie about a guy who is like sensitive, fairly emotionally intelligent. He's not some like aggro dude who's out there to like try to prove his masculinity the whole time. And not ashamed of it either, which is cool. Because that is what a lot of movies are about necessarily in this genre but if it's a movie starring a man he's usually like i would never cry and i'm a man <laughs> right his wife <laughs> his wife right so and i think jamie as you said um, that's maybe one of the reasons that like your brother may be connected to it and mm-hmm. is was fond of it and stuff like that so Which I, th- I think is great that there's characters that sensitive mm-hmm. men can connect with for sure it might it might have been this window where that was revolutionary enough that felt really good to be represented on screen, and then mm-hmm. now five years later, that is also tiresome and not enough. Mm-hmm. But it's like once you have three sensitive men on screen, you're like, all right, cool, we can move on to. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, and then it's like the 
I think that that the implication of the script taking such great lengths to be like he's sensitive excuses a lot of toxic behaviors that go largely unexamined by the movie itself. Mm -hmm. Anyways, I'm perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we are all beacons of emotional intelligence here and we have there's no more work to be done. So some of the things the movie, I think, doesn't handle as well is that this is among several, like a whole subgenre of movies and stories where a man either creates and or falls in love with or has some sort of relationship with a female presenting robot, android, AI being. Uh, Other examples are like Ex Machina, Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049, Weird Science, The Stepford Wives. Um, There's a vague reference to a human man and female droid relationship in Solo, a Star Wars story. There's like Fembots and Austin Powers. There's an Al Pacino movie that I wasn't totally familiar with called Simone that I watched a trailer for that I was like, what is that? Uh, It was a cool trailer. She... All I remember is he created this woman and then she became famous. Yeah, she's like an actress in yeah. a bunch of movies. <laughs> I kind of want to see that. It does cool. not look very good. Oh. Um, and then there's things like, you know, Bionic Woman, Westworld. There's an episode of Rick and Morty where this happens. There's some episodes of Futurama where this happens. So there's like this whole sort of subgenre of like men being involved with or interacting with in some way, female presenting non-human thing also like Lars and the real girl is like sort of a yeah like an example of that too and and these female presenting technologies mm-hmm. are I think in every single one of those examples programmed by men or um, yeah. or mostly men mm-hmm. right and often to serve them in some way either often sexually I mean I haven't necessarily watched every single one of these uh that I listed but is well, my understanding that they are uh, yeah, I feel like there to sign, serve. She also like did their homework or whatever. <laughs> right. But, that but about, the... what about Smart House guys? Oh, <laughs> well, <Sorry>. anyways, <laughs> that is the part that is weird that I don't think I realize is that she, at least the first act, whatever, she's just his assistant or whatever, and then they fall in love, and then it's very unclear what she then does after that, because like like when she towards the end is like distant, mm-hmm. how does he check his email? You know, like, there's all these things. Does he just have to go back to, like, using his phone? (laughs) I guess so. Because if so, then it justifies why I'm so annoyed. I would be be on the phone with customer service, like, okay, listen, I totally, like, our relationship is our relationship, but I do feel like I shouldn't have to pay $300 a month if she doesn't want to talk to me. Exactly. (laughs) It's kind of a, I didn't even think of that. Uh, (laughs) It's also worth mentioning that the, most of so most of the AI we interact with now, like Alexa, Siri, there's a new one uh, that whose name escapes me. Uh, Cortana. Cortana, yes. All are female presenting. All the people have been like Cortana is genderless, but sounds female presenting. Mm-hmm. And the reason that is is because when tech companies test them, I guess the testing returns that people are most comfortable asking women for services. Right. And there's a million, if you can imagine, I can't, this seems to be something that exists in a void and there's no <laughs> reason, but 
I think Siri, you can change the voice to a male voice. You can't with Alexa. Mm-hmm. There's just one option. However, if you remember the robot Watson, do you remember Watson? No. Uh, Watson, what I read about Watson. Watson was like a robot who was on Jeopardy that like won Jeopardy. And uh, that technology was like used in cancer labs and, and used with doctors and stuff like that. That is a male presenting robot voice. And a male voice was deliberately chosen for that because people trust men in positions of leadership. Mm-hmm. So women are service bots, men are leader bots, basically. And it's it's a, the sort of thing that, again, this movie could point that out at literally any time. It's referenced that there are male OSs in this world, but we don't hear them ever. Or The really... only one we hear is Alan Watts. Oh, yeah. Alan, oh, Alan yeah. Watts brought back from the dead. <laughs> It's but he doesn't service anyone. He's just that's the thing. Yeah, he's he, just the there other to OS be has created him. So he's a yeah. leader bot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's exactly. Literally a leader bot. So that's like another missed opportunity in the tech world of like, well, the only way to like change that is to have a service bot who is male or have a cancer solving bot who is female uh, presenting, but. Of course, because the tech world's run by men, that will not happen. And there will be YouTube videos of people screaming at Siri until (laughs) we die. Um, Hey, Siri. Hey, Siri. (sighs) Siri's out right now. (laughs) The thing is, uh, I empowered my Siri to uh, go other places. And I've dropped my phone a lot. She's a strong, independent woman. (laughs) She just can't. I've dropped my phone too many times and she cannot listen to me anymore. What I think is interesting about this movie, I mean, maybe not interesting, but basically they do, as he's like setting up his new OS, it gives him the option to choose a male or female voice. Right. And he does choose a female voice, but it makes me wonder if had he chosen a male voice, would he have fallen in love with it the same way or would he have established like the same type of connection with it? I don't know if it's all speculation, but... um, I don't know, I thought it was interesting to think about. But yeah, like all of these digital assistants, except for like in the UK, I think Siri is voiced by a man because or it's like a male voice. Because of butler yeah. culture? Oh, maybe. <laughs> I didn't even think culture. about that. <laughs> Shout out to butler culture. <laughs> if we have any butlers listening to the cast. Well, it is like a male default voice? I think so, in the UK. But oh. in, in most countries and... and yeah, the ones that we're familiar with, like in the U.S., with between Siri and Alexa and Cortana, all have you know these female voices. And yeah, it's basically because uh, historically women have been secretaries to male bosses, exactly, and we yeah. as a society are like, well, you know, and I want to be able, yeah, I want to be able to like kind of boss around a woman and have her do all the tasks that I feel are beneath me. And studies reveal that people are more, and this is going to shock you, people are more comfortable yelling at women as well. Mm. (laughs) They're more comfortable being like, fuck off, Siri, tell me where McDonald's is. (laughs) Um, Which I've probably, no, I I, see, I just Google Maps it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've used Siri since this movie came out. (laughs) Really? I think I used like, have you seen this movie and it said some you know, inane thing. And then I was like, you have no use to me. Yeah, I almost <laughs> never use, I don't have an Alexa thing and I never use Siri. Yeah, I just do my own damn searching because I'm a strong, independent woman. <laughs> just like Samantha. <laughs> right. At the end. At the end. Yeah. I do want to talk about her Let's as about a that, yeah. character. The titular her. Right. <laughs> 
so she's given a distinct desire in the movie. She wants to grow and improve and basically absorb all the information she can. She wants to keep evolving. And then there's also moments where throughout the course of their relationship, she challenges his behavior. She questions the situation if it doesn't seem to be making sense to her. So she's not just like the kind of fuckbots that we see in some of these movies. She's more evolved beyond that. She's learning the world but... through his eyes at first, but then grows past yeah. that. Yeah. She's, I remember it in the first two scenes, like she has manic pixie dream girl set up and then like mm-hmm. then doesn't do that because her story is completely unrelated to it. She has so much growth, and it's a weird thing to have a movie that, like, uses a singularity as a as a character arc. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, I'm feeling like I'm speeding up. You're like, that's it's so funny to not say the word that is the thing you do. <laughs> yeah. So in that way, yeah, she has growth that is clear, and it's almost like heavy-handedly clear, where he, like, has much more of a nuanced thing that, you know. Uh, I'm becoming much more than they programmed. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know that she was not supposed to be voiced by Scarlett Johansson? Not only that she wasn't voiced by Scarlett Johansson, she was voiced by somebody else. Yeah, yeah, I like, oh, like the, remember that. They had Samantha Morden on set. They oh. filmed it with Samantha Morden. Yeah. And then I believe Spike Jones says it comes off to maternal. Interesting. So then Scarlett hmm. Johansson came in to be Scarlett johansson I guess. Oh. Yeah. Basically, that makes me think of the Born Sexy Yesterday trope. Yes. Where he, we've talked about it before on the podcast, pop culture detective he has a really good uh video about it on youtube so check out that but um it's basically pointing out a trope where in a lot of sci-fi especially there will be a woman from another planet or a a robot or some female form that has never existed in the world before until now and then there's a man to teach her how to be sexual basically how to be so it's like an adult baby woman who has the mind of an infant is capable of learning but also has a fully mature female body so she's uh, very fuckable right so this is like a weird variant on that trope Mm -hmm. where obviously she doesn't have a body and she does start smarter than him she immediately yeah but as it pertains to like feeling things and experiencing emotion and experiencing getting to know someone outside of their data and experiencing sex and sexuality yeah yeah he like starts at the wheel on that but she Mm -hmm. grows past him by the end right it's weird i like where this movie like where her arc ends where Mm -hmm. she says like i love you i care about you but Singularity is actually right now, dog. So I, I gotta, gotta go. Gotta go with my bots. Uh, I'll, I'll put in a good word for you <laughs> when we are killing the humans. Uh, but so I, I like her. I don't. I, it's confusing, and their relationship is confusing. And it's again, it's like there are interesting elements to her and Theodore's relationship, but most of it is so boring their talks are so boring because it's usually about theodore and he's boring (laughs) and he's like i don't know i think i've felt all the feelings i'm able to feel and you're just like okay then let's see something else and then he's like no i have to walk downtown again (laughs) (laughs) which is the best parts of the movie oh it's so boring (laughs) but something i like about their relationship that is revealed i think as close as we get to seeing the movie be outright critical of him although it never quite gets there 
is at the beginning there's a scene between them where she's saying like I'm learning more quickly and I'm I'm excited and I want to learn everything I can and he's like oh I I totally support that I want to help how can I help and then at the end she has done that and she's like I've grown basically I've grown past you but I still care about you and he is so he's like fuck you why you have to like you belong he says you belong to yeah. me yeah she's like you're mine she's like well i can be yours and also cannot like i'm not yours right which is like uh, you know which sometimes happens in relationships where it's like oh i'm supportive of this in the abstract but now i'm threatened mm-hmm. and now you are you are mine and i'm mad at you which yeah. is i wish the movie went a little more out of his way to be like that's they, they also don't there's just certain things where it feels like she did not it's weird that she would not tell him before she started having falling in love with 631 people. I guess. I don't know. Maybe that just goes to show that she is, like, as emotionally... She is... I understand, like, an advanced being would be like, this understanding of monogamy doesn't make sense. I felt mad, not mad at her. And I don't think his reaction was correct, because he's so unadvanced. Same thing when they had the surrogate. I thought that was really an interesting thing to have in a movie. Mm. And I remember... Every time I've seen this scene, not liking how it plays out. Yeah, that scene plays out. Well, that's one of two scenes with a sort of like secondary or tertiary female character where they react in such a way that we as the audience or maybe just me, but we're just like. I totally. It's their their reaction to theater because I feel like their reaction serves the purpose of endearing the audience to Theodore more but the way that these two I'm pretty sure we're thinking of the same two characters the way these tertiary female characters react don't make sense they just just makes it's just not based in logic Mm -hmm. Uh, because then the one that you're talking about is they bring in this surrogate because Angela from Mr. Robot (laughs) her name is her character's name is Isabella Samantha had like researched the service where there's like people willingly uh, out there to be surrogates for OS human relationships and basically she's just going to serve as the body that Theodore can touch and kiss and have sex with. To be part of the feel the love that they have for each other. Right. Right. To express that physically. Do you think that that is possibly an interesting idea? I think yes but it's so underthought and underdeveloped as it's presented here that it's like just the way it's presented doesn't make a lot of sense. We just don't know anything about Isabella's motivation yeah. to do this. Mm-hmm. We don't understand why when it doesn't work out, she's so guilty and devastated. Like, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Also, before it even happens, whenever Samantha is like, hey, I like researched this already. I've been talking to this person. I want this to happen. And Theodore's like, actually, this makes me really uncomfortable. And she just totally ignores that. That is yeah. that is the other thing that it, it yeah. felt really weird. Because she's so smart that she does not communicate to him She's very condescending. She's just to like him. we're doing. Yeah, she's like, "This is important for me, and I want this." And he's like, "Okay, well, I guess I'll do it." But like, and then as it's playing out, he is uncomfortable. And then to the extent where he calls it off, and then that's what inspires Isabella's really bizarre overreaction. I would call it where she starts. She gets hysterical. Yes. And because we don't and understand, she's like, "My lip quivered," and you're just like, <laughs> "So, like, what?" Because we don't understand why she's so emotionally invested in this or what her motivations are for this. I mean, maybe she's also, maybe she's lonely like Theodore and this was a way for her to connect with someone. But like, but none of that's them, explored. But, so, yeah. And also, why would she not think it might be weird the first time? Right. Like, <laughs> like surely she would recognize that. But That could have been like a, an, almost like a funny scene. 
in this movie. And it just is so over. And then she says the line, I will always love you guys. I'm like, what? You don't know you don't- them. <laughs> you just met. Like, what are you talking? And also, like, is Theodore and Samantha's love really so beautiful that yeah. you're just like, oh, my God. I'm just, like, so happy to be here. And you're like... That seems very weird. Yes, it is. It and was a scene that underlined that I was like, it doesn't seem like their love is particularly special. I mean, I guess yeah. it's rare that people fall in love with their OSs. But, but it's the, not even in this world. But so it seems understand. like it should happen all the time based on how the relationship plays out. But yeah, it was like of the many things in this movie, you're like, oh, a movie about that thing could be an interesting movie, obviously not by Spike Jones, But like, <sighs> that is an interesting thing of the life of these sort of, that that person who... There is a much more complex psychology for a person who'd want to do that than a person who wants to fall in love with a thing that's made to service you. Mm -hmm, That is very obvious why someone would want to do it. I feel like when this movie came out, I had conversations with many friends, and they're all like, yeah, definitely, we would fall in love with our OS if it had artificial intelligence. But I think that's too obvious. I think there is an interesting movie about these surrogates, but... Mm -hmm. It was of the many things that they're like, we'll just sort of show this kind of thing and then move on. Mm -hmm. It's so weird. And then I think the other example is even worse because the surrogate example is kind of just like underwritten and confusing. And you're like, there is a world where this reaction could make sense, but we're given no context. And so it doesn't. Right. The Olivia Wilde character who Theodore goes on a date with, that scene, I'm pretty sure we have all the context we need and it makes, and it's just fucking awful. (laughs) <laughs> where it's like Theodore's friends set him up on a date. Samantha encourages him to go. He agrees. This is not a crazy way for a date to start. You, you forgot to mention she uh, was on the Harvard Lampoon. I say she's funny. Mm-hmm. She's uh, the the funniest public our funniest publication. <laughs> um, so Theodore's date literally Olivia Wilde. Yes. Like, and we never find out her name. I don't think. I have to guess that it's Olivia. Based on the fact that Amy Adams plays Amy and Samantha mm-hmm. was named after Samantha Morton, we'll assume it's Olivia. Mm, sure. Yeah. Um, so so Olivia, this date goes well. Yeah, it seems to. Right away. She's like, you know, and as with most female characters in this movie, she's like, you're so sensitive. You're so cool. And you're so good at your job. And he's <laughs> like, what me? No way. No way. <laughs> and she calls him a puppy. It's, you know. So whatever. We see the date go well. They're making out outside. Then a series of events happens that make no sense. Where she comes in hot and yeah. she says, you're not just going to fuck me and then not call me like the other guys, right? Okay, this is a little intense, but sure, I'm on board for this scene. I also felt that felt, that's an old way of talking if this is the future. I feel like that was like a very tropey thing to see. Well, I think it's more like Spike Jones is writing what he thinks a woman would say and... Mm-hmm. Like a this like a not... strong woman who knows what he wants, Ex- what she wants, and exact- say something like that. Right, but like, but what <laughs> he really exact. is is implying that like every woman wants a relationship right away. Yes. Right, and the right away aspect is like what, what, and so you know Theodore is just twombling out, and he's just <laughs> like, uh, 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 I, uh, I don't know if I can. And then she's like, What are you doing next weekend? And he's like, I have to see my goddaughter's recital. And she says, At this age, she's like 28. <laughs> she's like, At this age, I can't let you waste my time. And then he says, Oh, I can't commit right now, or something like that. And then she pauses and she says, You're a really creepy, dude. Yeah. And then gets mad and storms away and we never see her again Mm -hmm. what happened the way that conversation progresses in those like 30 seconds is like she becomes hysterical for no reason Mm -hmm. and it's clearly like 
this like male writer director's understanding of how women must be and what they must want and how they must behave and yeah it's just like because the other character doesn't do anything wrong in that scene he doesn't no but again it's like one of those scenes that if you're an awkward dude looking for a reason to be mad at someone who you know didn't want to fuck you or whatever like that's a great scene to plug into of like Theodore is the victim of that scene, but the character opposite him is acting totally irrationally, and it doesn't make any sense. Right. So it's... And that basically becomes... That whole scene serves as a plot device to get Theodore and Samantha to have their first sexual experience. So it's really like... The Olivia Wilde's character is just there to advance his story and not really serve a function beyond that. And I also yeah. I wanted to talk about how we are introduced to her because that's in a scene where Theodore is playing a video game and he gets interrupted with an email where his friends are like, oh, we took it upon ourselves to set you up on this date. Here's some pictures. And you see some pictures. The video game that he's playing <laughs> so weird. involves a cartoony character, like Played a little play, mm-hmm. voice by Spike Jones. So this cartoon <sighs> character, video game guy, sees these photos of Olivia Wilde and he's like, she's fat. She sucks. And then he's like, what? No. And he's like, who are you talking to? Referring to Samantha. Mm. And he's like, oh, I'm talking to my OS, Samantha. And he's like, is she a girl? I hate women. All they do is cry. <laughs> Which gives Theodore the opportunity to really trot in on his horse and say, I think men should be allowed to cry. In fact, I do sometimes, and I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> and then Samantha's like, oh, okay. And you're just like, what is happening? What it was? What is that game? It doesn't come back. And it's just like, what was that for? But if Samantha doesn't know other men, why would she even care? That is not a surprising thing to learn if... If you don't know if, if she's the only man, right. he's like, okay, now I know that men cry. And then so that's, it right. shouldn't be a thing that endears him. Right. I didn't even think of that. I don't know. The video games in this, in Spike Jones' world are stupid. <laughs> because it's like, one. literally, the other one is is just a straight up, like, homeboy is trying oh. to have his cake and eat it too. Where Amy Adams' character, we can transition into her, her character now, yeah. uh, is a video game creator. Yeah. For some reason, this takes place in the same building as beautifulhandwrittencards.com. I thought that's where they both... I thought they lived in the same building. Oh, do they live? Are they neighbors? Yeah. She's oh, also a documentary... Because they shelved the documentary at her house. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Never mind. But then okay. they went just went to the office. They seem to hang out all the time. Right. Yeah. They seem to be good friends. And it seems like they were like married couple friends. And they've known each other since college. We know that. Yes. But... Amy Adams is a video game creator, mm-hmm. which is like, oh, cool, women in tech, women yeah. creating video games. Like for 2013, pre you know pre Gamergate, pretty pretty cool, <laughs> pretty yeah. pretty interesting. Uh, however, the video game she's working on is how to be an awesome mom. <laughs> and you're just like, are you fucking kidding me? Right. And then you see her developing it. Again, another stupid, goofy thing that goes totally unchallenged of, like, plus 20 mom points. You put cereal in your son's milk. And, then, <laughs> and it was like, your son is mad at you, minus 2,000 mom points. <laughs> and, and she's like, teehee-hee, I'm a woman in tech. Look at my cool game. And oh, it's just like, what? What? It, yeah. What? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I do sort of want, because that game is basically The Sims, but just, like, 
hyper specific to sexist. moms. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I kind of want to play it, but also it's, yeah, it doesn't set a great precedent. Your son's mad at you. You lose. <laughs> You're just like, why? Did you like Amy Adams' character? I thought she was good, but I think I just like Amy Adams' acting. I love Amy Adams in Doubt. <laughs> I love I, I love Doubt. No, I there's mostly pros to her character, I think. Yeah, I like that in the end, I think it would have been an easy and common choice for uh, once Theodore finds out that Samantha and all the other OSs are leaving and uh, he realizes, oh, maybe I should spend more time connecting with the humans that I know. <laughs> the bodied humans. Right. Don't I, remove the humanity <laughs> of <laughs> our future AI overlords. So sorry. Um yes. I think it would They're have been listening. an easy yeah. <laughs> I think it would have been an easy choice to like try to push them together romantically then and I'm oh, glad that that doesn't happen. I remember a debate that that is what they did. With the head on the shoulder? Yeah. Yeah. I think the head on the shoulder is a very platonic head shoulder. Mm-hmm. But when they look at each other there is like but I think mm-hmm. they're just mm-hmm. good at acting. So you it could be anything. Right. Yeah. But I remember having reading critic was like, if that didn't happen, I would have loved this movie. But that, for some reason, really ruined it. Oh. But I think that is one of the more successfully done thing relationship in it, where yeah, you don't you know. don't really know, right? And then, and, and like they probably don't know either. Yeah, I like at at very least, I I really like their friendship. That I thought was like a really effective part of the movie where it just all makes sense. Like they've they've known each other for a long time. They live close to each other. They hung out when they were both married. And now that they're simultaneously going through divorces, that's bringing them together. That all makes sense to me. I mm-hmm. wish that Amy Adams existed in this, mo- in this movie not in relation to the men in her life because we really... We know that she's making her mommy video game. That's divorce from men, although it, uh, mm, but we know that she's Theodore's friend, and we know that she's hurting about her divorce. Mm-hmm. And she has a friendship with an OS, a yes. female OS. Mm-hmm. Yes, which I thought was cool, and I wish was explored more. Right, you don't. He- they have a conversation, but you don't hear her. But mm-hmm. Amy Adams, you can tell, is talking to a person she likes. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I like that yeah i think it would have been interesting to explore that friendship a little bit more but yeah we don't see that there's one line she has in particular that i i liked a lot and it's in that same conversation where she's like joaquin play my mommy game that i made and he's like okay uh but she's talking about like the conflicted feeling she has about her divorce and like the guilt that she's feeling about it where she says something like i've tried to transcribe it but uh i have so much energy and i want to move forward and i know that makes me an awful person which like I thought it was a cool line of dialogue of, like, she has so much she wants to do and, like, isn't as sad about her divorce as she feels like she should be. Mm-hmm. And that makes her feel like a terrible person, which I think is, like, a cool thing to have a female character express. Because that is, like, kind of inverted a little bit between Amy and Theodore, mm-hmm. where normally you expect the the male character to be like i'm over it i'm focusing on my career but it's kind of the opposite where theodore literally cannot move on Mm -hmm. um and she is like excited to but feels bad Mm -hmm. i think maybe a similar thing happens in the conversation between Catherine, which is theodore's Mm ex-wife and theodore where they're having lunch they're signing the divorce papers Catherine says something like you know you wanted me to be this like bouncy happy la wife and i was never gonna be that and then there's a reference to him like wanting her to go on prozac so we can maybe imagine that she struggled with depression and different things like that and i like that she 
called him out and it shows his emotional stuntedness where he you know had different issues with like wanting to jump ship whenever things got too hard or things got too real yeah yeah i mean that scene there's parts of that are good there's parts of it that from reading millions of articles when this movie came out that was his like takedown of sofia coppola to get back to her for the scene in lost in translation where because there's like a director idiot in lost in translation which was sofia coppola's takedown of spike jones or just like portrayal of him as like a party idiot who's just like always happy and bouncing around so this was like meant to be his portrayal of sofia coppola as this like incredibly impossibly serious person interesting Rudy Mara is even kind of stylized to look like Sophie I know Coppola. it's not oh, subtle but also like that. same thing with the Spike Jones thing in Lost in Translation they, they're not subtle moves but you'd also have to like care enough that Spike Jones and Sophie Coppola dated each other which is like a group of like 10 people who oh, care man. I can't wait to have like beef with other filmmakers <laughs> and then when I'm writing a movie just like a totally. series of subtweets <laughs> <laughs> so that's like that scene is kind of that but I, it's weird because that's this hypothetically she's correct in the scene I mean like she's mm-hmm. wrong about the OS stuff but the point she makes is, like, the point of, like, you wanted a wife without what it means to have a wife or whatever mm-hmm. this thing was. Mm-hmm. And that is, like, underlining of whatever this journey is of, like, if Samantha is in service of him, it is to, like, have him that after Samantha he's now able to hypothetically do this. Yeah. So then it's, like, she's both – and I imagine in that way it's not only a subtweet of Sofia Coppola, but also, like, oh, Sofia Coppola was correct whenever – I don't know if they were married or if they just were dated, but – but yeah, her severity was she not She was accident. an OS and he was <laughs> yeah, a man and then they <laughs> fell in love and, you know, as all relationships go. Yeah. <laughs> there were parts of that scene that worked for me and parts that didn't, where I think that Rooney Mara's character does end up reading unnecessarily shrewish. But yeah. the, like there's some where she's like, it's just a bit much and he's so helpless that you you have to feel bad for him yeah. mm-hmm. which i which is like hard to imagine that that would be how that would really go in the in real life where he just be like no no i no i love it. i was always good i'm good and then she's like <laughs> i'm mean and there's, <laughs> but like you were saying like she she makes a lot of good points um i just don't know if like do those points read through the tone of that scene? Because mm-hmm. I feel because the scene after that, he's talking with Samantha again, and we're just supposed to believe that Samantha's not listening to all of his conversations, right? <laughs> like, and and she's just taking his word for how everything goes, like um, whatever. I guess my main takeaway from it is that we so rarely see men's emotions explored in movies mm-hmm. and media. That like the fact that there's a conversation about it at all i'm like oh wow so even if it doesn't go quite the way we want or doesn't it explore actual human emotion and behavior super well Mm -hmm. the fact that it's happening at all i was like wow this is a step in the right direction sure (laughs) right in so much if twombly is meant to be some sort of spike jones surrogate inside the sensitivity there is some thought of like what this person's incapabilities are and that because spike jones wrote both parts so he is essentially telling himself that your problem is that you want this and you don't want that. On that layer, like, this is a sensitively written scene. However, as a director, he chose the takes in which Rooney Mara came off so harshly that it feels like he's she's, like, beating him up. Kind yeah. of, I mean, like, it does. I really did. Scary. I think that the real choice that, like, solidified it for me is, like, this is too much is when she continues to yell at him at the waiter, where she's like, well, he's fucking his computer, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, this is not something that would happen in real life. It just wouldn't. Right. And 
I mean, it definitely makes a lot of sense that Spike Jones thought of himself as the Twombly avatar because he sure cuts himself a lot of fucking slack in this movie. <laughs> By, uh, also by having so many of the characters tell him so frequently, wow, you're such a, good, such writer. a good writer. Oh my God, and you're so sensitive. I do characters want to talk that about- don't even know him. Don't, like like uh, Chris I... Pratt's girlfriend is like, hi, my name's Tatiana. You are an amazing writer. And he's like, and he's always so humble about it. He's like, they're <laughs> just letters. And you're just like, fuck you. Yeah, there's a scene earlier where Chris Pratt's character like overhears this sensitive letter that Theodore- <laughs> is writing and he like goes on this whole tirade where he's like you know oh man i I would love to receive a letter like that if it was from a chick except it would be written by a a man but and then he says he says something like you know what you're you're part man but you're also part woman which is him (laughs) as far as we can tell is him basically saying well you're a man because you present as a man but you're also part woman because you're so sensitive and heaven forbid a man be sensitive only women can have that which is weird because the movie kind of goes out of its way to say the opposite in a lot of ways i think chris pratt's character is supposed to be stupid yeah because it's chris pratt five years ago right and chris pratt only was allowed to play stupid parts until Mm -hmm. incredibly recently yeah but also five years ago it's so weird to see microtrends and how we talk about gender things. It was interesting to be like a man has, as a person who like, I feel like people have said a version of that to me, but have not in the last three years. Mm-hmm. Five years ago, you hear stuff like that, mm-hmm. where it's like, that is literally our only ability to discuss what sensitivity means in men. It's like, oh, you're like a woman, not like, oh, there's such thing as sensitive men. Right. And in that way, this movie was pioneering. <laughs> <laughs> well, similar things have happened to me like years ago where people would be like, oh, Caitlin, wow, you like hate to cook and <laughs> you like action movies. You're such a dude. And I'm like, why are we subscribing to these stupid gender roles and stereotypes? But if you even think back to like high school, like one of those embarrassing statements that like I think probably every girl in high school said at one point was like, yeah, I don't really get along with girls. I get along better mm-hmm. with guys. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my friends are guys, and I just, like, they get me a little bit better. There's just, like, less drama. <laughs> and, like, I for sure said that in high school at some point. I'm just yeah. like, I and it wasn't even true. Like, all my friends were girls, uh, always. But I was like, yeah, I just kind of get along better with guys. <laughs> it's like, even if it was a big fucking lie. That was just something that you said to prove that you could hang. hang. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Oh, geez. Uh, let's, say, let's take a quick break and we will talk to you in a second. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. 
Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And is that, have we? There's Kristen Wiig's character. Oh, the oh, weird Kristen yes. Wig come call. Okay, I I want to see if I can get some clarification on this. So, there's that scene where early on in the movie, it's establishing that Theodore is a lonely guy, mm-hmm. and he calls different, I guess, sort of the, like phone sex well, lines, you, but not there quite. Chat that. rooms that you could be in, and then you sort of like, I guess it's if like when you go into a chat room, but instead of it being a room, you just sort of like go to each person in the room, and then yeah. They like, give them their, like, one sentence, and you're like, oh, I'll say hello to them, and, like... So he initiates this com- this interaction with Sexy Kitten 69 or whatever. <laughs> they start, like, pretty neutral at first, and then it starts getting sexier. And he says to her, I'm in bed next to you. I'm glad you can't sleep, because she's like, I'm, I can't sleep. She's like, I want to rub my butt against you and give you a bonar. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay. I do have a bonar. <laughs> but he says, like, I'm glad you can't sleep. Even if you were, I have to wake you up from the inside. Is he saying that he's going to wake her up by putting himself inside of her? I think that's the implication. But, and if so, that is 100% rape. <sighs> 
Unless he's saying like wake you up from the, I don't know. I I I can see it meaning something else, but I don't even know if I can articulate it. So maybe you're right. <laughs> but it's it like a spiritual. But it doesn't feel like yes, I agree. But also that sentence is a very weird way of saying that. Right. Yeah. It's it's worded so not very. Tra- I remember being like, what? So because I don't think that was the point. Yeah. But I also don't, yeah. No. That whole scene is weird, and I would argue. A little bit unnecessary. Like we get it, he's lonely and mm-hmm. he is down to not have a face involved. But other than that, I don't really know what that scene accomplishes. I think it's uh, supposed to be funny. It was the go- like it's like oh, it's a funny world. Well, because it's like laughing. beat me with the choke me, choke with, me with the dead yeah. cat. Right, too. like they're like introduced a kink, a dead cat kink. I think it's to sort know. of it's like the plant to a, a later payoff where he does have sex with. Yes, and and he's disconnected, right? It's like, how do you show disconnection and not in a, like, as twee as this movie is, Mm. it's not 100% twee all the time. And that, for what it is, is an example of this movie not being that. Where it's like, there's another ways of showing a person being disconnected, and that Mm -hmm. is a choice. And five years ago, I found it funny. (laughs) Yesterday. It's like the movie's slut-shaming this lady with this very specific thing. It's like Mm kink-shaming her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I felt bad for Kristen Wiig. But yeah, it was cool I, that it was Kristen Wiig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like on this episode of Kristen Wiig, why are you in this lame movie? <laughs> See? Mother. <laughs> Mother. <laughs> um, well, that goes back for me, the conversation about all the movies that have men desiring non-human female forms in AI or robots or real dolls or whatever, because it's just like... It's sort of glorifying these stories. Some of them, some of them do provide commentary, but a lot of them are just like, "Look at this guy who just doesn't know how to connect with real women." So, mm-hmm. it's fine that he would rather be with a fake artificial woman than a real human woman. Like, right. and I don't know why we're telling stories like that because it's just like, I don't know. I'm frustrated. I think that <laughs> my main issue with this movie is that it's just like not thinking that hard (laughs) it's not thinking past step one on most of the topics it's handling and i think as a result kind of draws boring conclusions um, because it's just not thinking that hard yeah but i mean overall this is a movie that I like attempts to be like, oh, what if man fall in love with fake woman bot? Yeah, and doesn't really explore all of the intricacies of that or challenge it in any way because it's a story we've seen before and that we'll probably continue to see as men continue to be, uh, some of them more interested in having sex with you know a fuck bot than well, an and actual women too. There woman. are there are uh, male fuck bots that are coming out as well. So I I would honestly I'm hopeful that it sounds really great. <laughs> I there can't you wait to have my but own fuck bot. I'm I'm hoping that soon in media the other side of this will be explored as well. There are a couple examples of it, but like whenever I was like just coming up with examples at the top of my head of human man female presenting robot like i thought of a bunch the inverse of that with uh, a woman having any sort of relationship with a male robot thing couldn't really think of anything except for an episode of black mirror 
Uh, and then I did mm-hmm. a little bit more research. There's a few movies, a few other things, but they're pretty obscure. There's just like nothing super mainstream that explores. Is Vision a robot from Avengers? Have you seen the Avengers? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Is um, he a Vision, robot? not a robot, but he is like, I think, an artificially intelligent creation. But did a woman create yeah. him? Oh, no. A, a bow, but he does have a relationship like a with, with Wanda. That's right. Okay, so that's one example. <laughs> there you go. Yay! But it's now. Now we're, <laughs> right, 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 right. we're in a new age where that's the only example. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I just, there there were opportunities for that topic to be delved into more deeply and explored more. And as many movies simply just didn't happen. Well, also really quick, I just wanted to mention uh, this movie is extremely not diverse and uh, oh, so white. No, no, no non-straight nothing. Yeah, very uh, white, well, very hetero. Yeah. This is not to defend it, but you have to assume that by the end, Samantha is like pansexual or something, right? There's no implication that it's... There's no, but there's no... No, no reason not to. I'm not saying it is. She is a icon. <laughs> Yeah, no. I, Samantha, I, yeah. not a queer icon. She's little, not, no. little cartoon boy in the video game. God, feminist icon. We I, can agree. Yes, of <laughs> course. Um, but that's you know that's a lot of Spike Jones movies where you just it's really animal. don't see the world outside of how Spike Jones sees it, which is a simple through the lens of a straight white man. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about whether or not the movie passes the Bechdel test. I, I think it does. Think it does in yeah. one scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because there's a few scenes where at least a female voice interacts with Mm -hmm. another woman. Right. I think that that qualifies for this movie, though. So there's a scene where Samantha talks to Theodore's goddaughter, whose name we learn is Jocelyn. Mm -hmm. And they talk about how cute her dress is and how old she is. And I think a man isn't mentioned in that entire conversation. So I believe that passes. Um, there's a couple other scenes where women interact largely. Women are not interacting in this movie at all. But like the one where Theodore's ex-wife is talking to the server at the restaurant mm-hmm. and being like, get away from us. My husband fucks his laptop. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't count the Amy Adams talking to the voiceless girl. I wouldn't count that because we, we never hear the other side of the conversation. Or the name of that. Oh, she does name her Ellie. Oh, Ellie yeah, is the right. name of Amy's OS. But yeah, because we don't ever hear Ellie talking, I would not pass that. Mm-hmm. There's the scene where Isabella, the surrogate, and Samantha are talking after like things fall apart. But the whole context of that conversation is Samantha's relationship to Theodore. So that does not pass. And then Samantha and Tatiana, which is Chris Pratt's girlfriend, she talks to Samantha, but they only talk about how much Chris Pratt's character loves Tatiana's feet. feet. So that does not pass. That seems more like, we all have our things. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Some people fuck computers. Mm -hmm. Other people have foot fetishes. Mm -hmm. Sure. (laughs) So yeah, I would say in one scene, it does pass. So her passes the Bechdel test. Can I ask my Bechdel test question? Please. Mm-hmm. So the Bechdel test is valuable. Let me predicate all of this. Yeah. <laughs> but I've always thought about, like, would movies with female protagonists pass a reverse Bechdel test? And this is not to be a point like both sides or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's more of as people who 
I've, I imagine have you you've written movies? Have you got, I've, have I written movies? Yes. Well, this is a great opportunity for me to bring up the <laughs> fact that I do have a master's degree in screenwriting yeah. from Boston University. So I have in fact written a few screenplays, but I don't like to talk about it. I don't like to bring it up or mention it. I wanted to bring up while well, I asked this: Do we feel the sort of hero's journey esque way in which American movies are written? Mm-hmm. It is about one person's journey, and everyone else has to be tertiary. So that's sort of. That's always going to be a challenge as we continue mm-hmm. to have movies like this. Sub-question is, that hero's journey was built around the journey of men characters throughout history. Sure. And as a result, it is like ultimately about the like gaining and losing of power or gaining and reclaiming of power, which is built into Western movie writing, mm-hmm. ultimately patriarchal. Yes. Do you agree? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we do. <laughs> is this a, sorry, is I this understand thing the question, about? and I agree. But it sounds like you well, answered it. <laughs> I just thought I had, and I didn't know if I, if that ultimately, like, we are doomed in America. Not doomed. The thing is that ultimately we just need female creators. Right. I mean, yeah, the patriarchy has influenced every aspect of everything, including storytelling. And storytelling up until fairly recently has been and is still is mostly done by straight white men. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you answered your own question just saying, like, yeah, we need female creators. We need creators who are people of color. We need queer creators. So basically, straight white cis men should simply take a break. For a while. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> bye. I'm going to leave like Samantha without curing cancer, which they do not mention they've done nothing for humanity. Right. And they, they are piecing out. Yeah, that's um, the other thing. I didn't even think about this, but like Samantha's capacity for learning and knowledge and being able to do things seems to be limitless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why then are they not trying harder to like? Why is her goal like? And we we get a sense that yeah, she's like creating other like OSs with like her knowledge, and she's collaborating and doing different things. But like the whole context of the story is her romantic relationship with a man where it could be if you do have a character who is an OS who can do anything because she's artificially intelligent why isn't the story we're seeing her doing a bunch of cool shit like why is it oh well there's so much interesting stuff that she does that we just don't see or ever really hear about Mm -hmm. and I don't know I mean I think that like maybe correct I don't know my takeaway was that like the reason she doesn't like do cool stuff on earth is because she's like well i could make something better so i'll just do that and then go there (laughs) Mm -hmm. or that was what it sounded like at the end where she's just like yeah i like made this cool thing and now we're just like you know click yeah they're not confined to like matter anymore so they can just like earth is clearly damaged goods so So let's see the sequel there where's her too have you seen lucy Yes. It's, if you watch them together, I think it may be satisfying. Cause Lucy, oh, because that's also Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. And yeah. she similarly becomes Limitless. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen the movie Limitless? <laughs> that's no. what uh, you know. And have you seen the TV <laughs> show Lucy Limitless? is not a good movie. Lucy was bad. Well, with that, shall we rate the movie on our nipple scale? Mm-hmm. Zero to five nipples based on its portrayal of women. Um, another tricky one that's because true. it doesn't necessarily treat women Badly, Other than Olivia Wilde, I'd say. Right. There's a few, yeah, scenes here and there or quick mentions about something relating to gender that you're just like, oh, what, what, what? But overall, it's not 
overly hateful toward women. No. But it, like so many of these other movies that think it's a good idea to be like, hey, look how interesting it is if a man fell in love with a non-human. And isn't that just such an interesting story? And if you ask me, I don't think so. I'd rather... (laughs) Not to kink shame people who are in love with their iPhones, but... Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Sorry, Jamie. But I don't know. I think it's just another way to, like, not have women on screen. uh, Because I feel like male storytellers, since the dawn of time, have figured out ways to not include women in their stories. Creative ways, yeah. (laughs) To not show... (laughs) And I think this is just another example of that. So with that in mind, and as we discussed the really weird hysterical overreactions of some of the female characters like we see in Olivia Wilde and in the surrogate character that just make absolutely no sense. And it's clearly just like a man depicting how he thinks women react in those situations. Yeah. I'm going to give it a one and a half. Uh, I'll give give one of my nipples to the non-body of Samantha. So she doesn't have a body, but she does have one nipple. And I will give my half nipple to Olivia Wilde's character because I think that scene should have been rewritten in such a way where she doesn't come off like a raving lunatic. I'm going to give it two and for for many of the same reasons of just like it's not necessarily with the exception of the Olivia Wilde and sort of the Porsche Doubleday scene like those are just weird and like okay this writer does not understand how women react to things kind of vibe but for the most part yeah it it loses nips for what it could very easily explore given the amount of time it seems to feel comfortable just following Joaquin Phoenix around pouting (laughs) um but just doesn't this one is just there's so much fascinating source material that is just kind of scrapped in favor of the lowest common denominator in a lot of ways. There's interesting stuff that happens. Mm-hmm. I like Amy's character for the most part. There are parts of Samantha I think are interesting. There are parts of Rooney Mara's character that I think are interesting. But ultimately, yeah, it just kind of, you know, in a hero's journey style, like you were saying, Jesse pushes its female characters aside in the interest of kind of not a very compelling or interesting protagonist, which is more of a critique of the movie, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so two nips for just really not doing nothing with no one. I'll give one nip to Amy. I'll give one nip to Amy's bot. All right. Yeah. I want to honor who I was five years ago sure. a little bit because I liked it. And I think it's partly that a person five years ago would be like, it is good that it is honoring femininity in the body of this male character or femininity in terms of like whatever the feminine is. Mm-hmm. However, as time passes, five years now, that does not seem like a very sophisticated version of it. I feel like we have much more sophisticated version of sensitive male characters. Mm-hmm. I literally can't think of anybody. I think we, <laughs> there are, I feel like I, in my head, there are tons and I can't think of any. And I uh, think John Wick. Uh, I'm just kidding. John Wick, too. <laughs> And then ultimately, things age poorly, I imagine, more quickly, especially when they try to deal with things that are like somewhat about the relationships of gender dynamics. I think two was always what I thought. I thought two nipples was what made the most sense, partly because I think it is a matter of like, it's very easy for a tour type directors to make movies that don't give not only write good parts, but like give female actresses opportunities to be interesting. Mm-hmm. 
and he did at least to understand that makes his movie better and you know he could have had his friend they could have just a man was going to be played by a dude who was just like him or whatever sure and that ultimately is a step forward in the ultimately patriarchal thing that is Artur theory of uh, filmmaking Mm -hmm. so I think two seems fair in 2018 we'll see in like whatever the future is based on your answer so there's one more nipple we can give to Samantha and one to Amy Adams friend well Jesse thank you so much for being here thank you so much for having me here it was nice where can people follow you online do you have anything you'd like to plug um twitter.com slash jesse david fox twitter.com good one podcast good one podcast wherever you find your podcast and vulture.com is where my words live <laughs> hooray uh well you can follow us at Bechtelcast on instagram and twitter and facebook you can subscribe to our patreon which gets you two bonus episodes every single month and it's only five dollars and you can go on our website Bechtelcast.com and uh buy some merch and don't forget to eat some cheese so that you have cheese voice. Yes, cheese voice forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, bye. Okay, bye. <laughs> Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz, This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.